I am going to the the uh, second chapter of First John. The second chapter of First John. My subject this morning is the greatest enemy of the church. The greatest enemy of the church. John writes to the church. And he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want you to let those words just for a moment sink in right there. If any man love the world, The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. The world is a problem. In this context, as in many others in Scripture, the term world is not referring to the inhabitants of the earth. But it refers to an unregenerated mindset. A mindset that is devoid of godly influence. And so again, when you read the world in the context of Scripture... Sometimes it is talking about this globe. Sometimes it is talking about the inhabitants uh, of the face of the earth. But in many cases, it is referring to that unregenerated mindset or that mindset that is devoid of godly influence. To, To one... To manifest worldliness is to manifest such an interest in carnal matters that spiritual concerns are crowded out. God's people have been delivered from the things of the world, but there must also be a transformation of the mind. Paul wrote to the Romans and In chapter 12 and verse number 2, and he made this statement. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There has got to be a transformation of the mind of humanity so that you won't be conformed. To, to this world. 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I may have mentioned before, and I've heard people say that there are three three wills of God. There's there's that good. That's just you know what God will allow. It may not be the ultimate, but and and then there is that acceptable will of God, and then you know there is that perfect will of God. For you, I, I don't believe that there are three levels of the will of God. It's my personal belief, and uh, through reading and study, that there's only one will of God uh, for for any person. And Paul is using uh, these adjectives to describe the one will of God. The will of God is good. The will of God is acceptable. The will of God is perfect. And so, for that. Transformation of mind is, uh, is important. The people of God must be able to think right. The direction of life will be according to the direction of the thinking. In fact, Jesus himself on at least two occasions, and one being in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, and then the other being in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, made this statement. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now we all know contextually that this word heart is not talking about the blood pumping organ in your body, but it is talking about the mind of humanity. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The, the mind also affects one's perspective. And one must be able to see uh, from the perspective of truth and to be able to live accordingly. So the battle for the mind is an effective tactic that is launched by the enemy. Needless to say, it is very, very effective. Not much is known of Demas. He was a Gentile convert that we do know. And was obviously a faithful missionary to Paul. He's first mentioned by Paul in his letter to the Colossians. And here he is mentioned in connection with Luke and obviously Paul himself. He, he was imprisoned with Paul during his first imprisonment. And just being mentioned in connection with these great men of God would be enough to make one know that Demas was probably himself a great man in, in the faith. The next time Demas is mentioned in Scripture is in Paul's letter to Philemon. He is mentioned in connection with Mark, with Luke, and with Aristarchus. Mark, we know, is the author of the gospel that bears his name. His was the first gospel written, and as such was a source of information for other gospel writers. Luke was the Gentile physician who authored the books of Luke and Acts, and, and he too shared in the sacrificial life of Paul. Aristarchus was a Macedonian traveling companion to Paul. Aristarchus and Gaius were, were seized 
by the Ephesians during the riot of the silversmiths as Luke records in Acts chapter 19 and verse 29. Aristarchus was a native of Thessalonica and accompanied Paul from Greece and to Rome. And in Colossians, Paul calls Aristarchus his fellow prisoner. Paul mentions him again in in the the book of Philemon. And in both letters, Aristarchus sends greetings of his own. And these men with whom Demas is traveling could be considered some of the who's who of the missionary endeavors of the church at that time. Demas was obviously a great man of faith. We we can even assume that Demas was not a soft man. As, As we have stated, he had been imprisoned with Paul. He had endured the hardships of travel. He was associated with some of the most effective missionaries of that time. One would think that Demas would have been a solid a stable and unshakable and unmovable man of the gospel. But here's the problem. One just never knows the contents of the mind of another. Amen. You just never know what's going on in the mind of another human being, whether they be redeemed or unredeemed. To that man or woman that, that, that you would look at and, and, and by outward appearance would, and, and observation, uh, you would deem them to be strong and stable in the faith. But what may be going on in their mind at that particular moment of time could be a lot of storm and a lot of turmoil and things that are shaking up the... The, the life and the emotions of that of that individual. You you almost don't see this coming. It, it's almost like Paul makes this statement and, and it's out of nowhere. He, he, he writes it and then he leaves it. He he writes it to Timothy. And as far as I can see in Scripture Paul never mentions it again. And he never mentions the name again. But while he is in prison, Paul writes to Timothy what to me is is also a sad note. Because he tells Timothy in chapter 2, or chapter 4 rather of 2 Timothy, verse 9 through 11 He he encourages Timothy with these words. He says, Do your diligence to come shortly unto me. In other words, don't tarry. Don't, don't, Don't just hang around, but I need you to do your best. I need you to work on this. I I need you to do everything that is in your power to get to me quickly. Because Demas has forsaken me. 
having loved this present world. And he is departed unto Thessalonica. Paul is saying to Timothy, he's gone back where he came from. Because it was in that region of Macedonia that that Demas, from which Demas came. And, and Paul is saying, Timothy, I need you to do your best to get to me quickly. Because Demas has forsaken me. Having loved the present world. He's departed to Thessalonica. Crescens to Galatia. Titus is gone to Dalmatia. Luke is the only one that is here with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. What happened? What happened to Demas? Was it the travel? No, it it wasn't the travel. Was it the hardships? Obviously not. Was it the time in prison? It seemed to not phase Demas. Nor was it persecution. Because persecution has never been able to hurt the church. In the years following the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, there was great persecution. The first to be executed was James. We've talked about that here recently. Then came Stephen. And later, the great persecution under Nero, under whom Paul was executed. If you've never read anything of the life of Nero, it would be... Uh, Worthy of your time to investigate. Nero wasn't even his given name. It was a nickname. But Nero was a vile man. Nero was a perverted man. He followed the line of of the Herods in in his deviant lifestyle. And and, and living very, very wickedly like like Nero or, or like Herod. The great especially. He had members of his own family executed. He had a wicked, vile mother who was interested in in power and and fame and and fortune. And and usually got what she was looking for. And, And she was very adept at poisoning her enemies. In fact, history tells us that by the time that Nero was 17 years of age... He was already a master at poisoning people. And at 17 years old, he had a stepbrother who he deemed to be a a threat to his future power and authority. And on his 15th birthday, he threw his stepbrother a party and and he had poisoned his food. And, And the historical record is that is that the poison was so strong in his food that when he, when he swallowed the first bite of it, 
And almost immediately he pitched forward and his face fell on the table and he never uttered a sound and never breathed another word. And, and Nero, you know, he, he, he was a musician and loved music and, and he had the music to play louder while he drug his stepbrother down the, down the halls of the palace to discard of, of his body. This was Nero. This was, this was the deviant man. That set that had 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 his uh, arsonist to set fires in various places in the city of Rome while he was in a drunken stupor and caused a great portion of the city to be burned and blamed it on the Christians when the populace tried to hold him accountable to the point that he greatly persecuted the church. But even that persecution was not enough to stop the church. The more persecution attempted to extinguish the flames of revival, it could not. The church grew as God added those who should be saved. So, so what of Demas? The rigors of travel in prison could not affect him. So what was it? Paul wrote Demas' spiritual epitaph when he simply said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. At some point in his mind, something began to change. It was something in his mind that the rigors of travel didn't affect. Something in his mind that the hardships of prison did not affect, but something at some point began to change in his mind. His thoughts began to go astray. Old desires began to return. He didn't check his thinking against the Word of God. Old habits began to hold an attraction. He returned to an unregenerated way of thinking and those things, those thoughts became actions. In a sense, Demas became like Israel after their miraculous deliverance from Egypt. He was walking in the right direction, but his mind was going in the opposite way. Stephen addressed this process when, when in, in his great sermon before his execution, he said in Acts chapter 7, verse 37 through 40, he said, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear. This is he, he said, that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turn back again into Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go 
before us and ask for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt. We want not what is become of him. But the, but the key point that I want to bring from this part of Stephen's message on, on that fateful day was the fact that he, that he looked the leaders and the elders of Israel eyeball to eyeball and said it was our fathers, it was our fathers that when God miraculously delivered them out of the bondage in Egypt, it was our fathers that turned in their hearts. They were going the right direction. In, in, in ritual, they were doing the right things, but their minds were not in the right place. In their mind they had turned back again to slavery. In their mind they had turned back again to brick making. In their mind they had turned back to the beatings and the lashings of the Egyptians. But at least they had houses they said. At least they had beans. They had lentils. And they had onions. They had something that they could expect every day of their lives they were moving in the right direction but somehow something in their mind began to take them back into captivity and take them back and cause them to desire the things of Egypt greater than they desired the deliverance of God That's what happened to Demas. Something in his mind that he left began to hold an attraction. Something that God had delivered him from in the past began to look good to him again. I'll certainly not give a name or location. But I had a pastor sent me some photos this week. Text me some photos. Of a man in his church that has lived for God for years. He's come through heartaches and hardships. He's come through trials and he's come through sufferings. But yet there's something in his mind that's not right. Something that God delivered him from in the past that now holds sway with him again. Physically, he's headed in the right direction. Physically, externally, it appears that everything is right. If you saw him in a worship service You would see him lift his hands and worship God. When the altar call is given, you would see that man make his way to the altar and pray and worship God and help others pray in the the altar. I've had that man on numerous occasions to, to come up to me and hug my neck very tightly and tell me how much he loves and appreciates my influence in his life, even though I am not and have never been his pastor. But yet the photos and the reality of what's happening in the mind and in his life is is literally shocking. 
Amen. Because, because he is engaged in, in salt pornography on the internet. And, and, and the pictures that I saw was not, was not hardcore pornography. It was beautiful women that he would comment on and, and talk about how good they looked and, 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 and how, and, and how fine that they were looking and, 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 and before and after pictures of, of working out in the gym and losing weight. And, and he would commend them on their accomplishments and how good and how fine that they, that they looked. Amen. And I looked at that and I thought, my God, how is it that one man could go from what God has brought him out of and God has used him in, in the past and delivered him from? How can a man get to the place in his mind that he's going in the right direction but yet his mind is tearing him back to bondage and back to the weak and the beggarly elements of this world and that that he rejected at one time now is attractive to him again and that that he has been delivered of now has him once again a prisoner in his mind How does a man get there? Is it the hardship of the struggle? I dare say it is not. Is it the times of conflict? Spiritually and otherwise, I would dare say no. There just comes a time in a person's life that like Demas... If, they, if they're not careful and do what we were talking about in our Bible lesson this morning. If you don't keep your flesh in check. If you don't keep your flesh under the power of prayer. And under the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you this morning. You can walk in the right direction. But your heart be totally somewhere that is against God. You can be making all the right moves. You can do, you can dress, you know, holy and righteous and modestly in, in this present world. And externally, you can do all of the right things. But in your mind, you're trapped and you're in bondage and you have gone back. To the very things that God has previously has previously delivered you from. That was disturbing to me. It was disturbing. Two days later, I called that pastor and I said, Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if there is any significance to this whatsoever. I said, but I'm telling you right now, the pictures that you sent to me is nothing more than soft porn. And if he's looking at that and making those comments to those women when he's got a wife, amen, that, that he brought into the, into the truth himself. Amen. He brought her to the house of God. She received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They raised their children in the house of God. And I said, now for him to go back and make those comments, I'm telling you right now, if that's what he's doing... There's hardcore photography. There's hardcore pornography somewhere that's not been exposed yet. I said, I don't know if there's any significance to it whatsoever. I said, but last night, and this was several nights ago, 
I said last night I had a dream. I said in my dream, my wife and I are in the bed asleep at night. And I said, and I wake up. And I said, there's that man. And I called his name. There's that man standing in our bedroom. And I said, and when I wake up and notice that he's there, he's on the phone. He's talking on the phone. And I said, and I just act like I'm asleep. But in my mind, I'm thinking, what's he doing in my house? How did he get in here? What's he doing here in the middle of the night? And I said his conversation on the phone was this. I said, I have no idea who he's talking to. He never, he never named, but the I said, but his conversation left me no question and no doubt in my mind as to what he was talking about. And he was making vile comments about women. He was saying things like, I would pay to see that. He said on the phone, I'm telling you right now, I would pay $300 out of my pocket right now to take a look at that woman. I'd pay good money. I'd pay good money right now just to see that. And I said, and then on the phone... You know, I, I'm, I, I made it known that, uh, that, that I was not asleep. And, and I began to ask him, what are you doing? And what are you doing in here? And, and I said, then he wanted to get aggravated because I asked him about his conversation. And it made him mad. And, and, and then he wanted to fight me. And we got into a tussle, into a struggle. And, and, and I overcame him and threw him down on, on the bed. And I said, in the, in, in the dream... I said, and hanging on the on the, the, the post of my bed, in, in my head was was a, a handgun hanging in a in a holster and, and and I wasn't trying to hurt him, I was just trying to, to subdue him and, and and he looked over and saw that pistol and he went, reached and grabbed my pistol, I said, which I don't have one hanging on the on the bed post, but in the dream. And I said, and when he did that, I said, I grabbed the pistol and took it away from him and and just said, what what do you think you're going to do with that? And I said, subdued him. I said, I told my wife who's awake by this time, call 911. And I said, when I told her to call 911, he really got mad and got agitated and asked me, what do you, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing? Why are you calling the police just over something like this? Why why are you doing what you are doing? And I said, why are you doing what you're doing? You're the one that's in my house. You're the one that's engaged in the activities that you're engaged in. And my question is why? How can it be that you have come to the place that you're turning back to the very things that God delivered you from? I called his pastor and I said, I don't know if this, I'm not going to even say that this is from God or that it means anything. Maybe, maybe it's because of what you sent me was so shocking to me. 
And then I told him my dream. He said, I'm going to tell you something right now. He said, that's a spirit in my church that if I don't deal with, it's going to pervade my church. And he said, I have no doubt in my mind that God is talking to different people because there have been different people that has come to me and, and let me know that they've had dreams along these same lines. And, and I have no doubt that God is talking to different people here and there who would hear the, the warning from God. So how is it that a person gets from that place of deliverance to, to, making, to, to, to making sure everybody around knows that everything is okay and there's no problems here, but yet in their mind they're held captive and they are in captivity again. Amen. The, the, the full turn from, from, from deliverance to captivity are back into captivity never happens suddenly nobody backslides overnight I've made the statement before I don't intend to I've made the statement before if I had it in my car I could leave this place after preaching under the anointing of God amen and pull out a fifth of whiskey and drink it on the way home and you would think and you would look at that and you would say what in the world is wrong with him he's backslidden amen but I'm telling you that did not happen yesterday it's a process at first, it's a little drift in thinking. Some, someone who has known the Lord through the power of the Holy Ghost does not re- return to an unregenerated life overnight. There's first the mental shift. And then the deeds of the flesh follow. Demas had shared experiences with the best the apostolic church had to offer in those days. Yet Paul wrote, he has loved this present world. She didn't love him. She was beautiful, but she didn't love him. She acted as if she did. Her infectious moves towards him make him think that she loved him. She didn't. But he loved her. Her beautiful smile, her long flowing black hair, the way she looked at him with those dark Enticing eyes. The way she moved her body when she walked across the room created desires in his mind that should not have been there. He loved her. But she didn't love him. He should not have even been there. But he was. He had the hand of God on his life. 
She didn't. He had physical power with, that only God could give. She was a harlot. One whose physical body is in one place. But the mind or the heart is in another. Gaza was on the very edge of the recognized land of Israel. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 21, when the Bible said that Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river unto the land of the Philistines. One of these places was Gaza. A Philistine stronghold that was never fully conquered by the Hebrews. In fact, Gaza was one of five major cities and strongholds of the Philistines that God had given to, to the Hebrews that they never did fully conquer. They, they made inroads there. They had some activity there, but, but never really fully went in and conquered the Philistines in those areas. And Gaza was one of these outlying areas. It was, it was one of these fringe areas. It, it wasn't in the heart of the land. It, it wasn't where, where the, the, the crux of the Hebrews lived. It was this fringe area. This area that is out there on the edge that a man like Samson had no business going. Maybe, no, maybe Samson had no business visiting the fringes of the land. But he was there. He was there. And the Bible said in Judges chapter 16 that he went to Gaza and there he saw a woman and he went in unto her. But she was a harlot. Can you see the setup coming? Here is a man. He, he's a judge in Israel. He, he's lived his life under a Nazarite vow. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't drink of the fruit of the vine. There, there were some things that, that Samson could not participate in. And the power of God rests upon him and the wisdom of God rest upon his life but here for some reason and it's an unknown reason that that Samson finds himself in the fringes of the land a place that he probably had no business being he's on the outskirts of the very land that God had promised to the Hebrews and what was it that brought him there scripture does not say but once he got there there was something that began to work in his mind there's something that got a hold of him and pulled him and was attractive to him and Samson fell in with a harlot 
And she wasn't all. But there were three women who were Philistines that Samson had dealings with. Only one of them is mentioned. Only Delilah is mentioned by name. She was quite obviously a woman of reputation because she was a tool of the Philistines to destroy a man of God. That there's even significance in names given them by their parents. The name Delilah may mean loose hair or small or slight. And it's easily explained as a pun on the Hebrew word for night. And the Hebrew word is Layla. Speaks of night. The loose-haired woman. That small, in particular, slight, loose-haired woman whose name, the very name, Layla, means night. Scripture doesn't identify her as a prostitute. But yet her name and, and, and her activities and, and the way the, the Philistines used her to bring down a man of God would certainly imply that that's exactly what she was. In fact, when I research in this and, and find out the Hebrew name Layla, it, it's ironic that a very popular song back in the 70's came to my mind. You that grew up in that era would know exactly the song that was sung by Eric Clapton that was entitled Layla. He was singing it to a woman. That woman was not, Layla was not her name. But he was singing it to a woman and that woman was the wife of another man. And he writes and pens after he's made overtures to that woman to leave her husband and to come and to, and to sleep with him and to be involved with him. Then he pens a word, a, a song that became a very, very popular song by the name of Layla. And he's calling to her. And he says, Layla, Layla, You've got me on my knees. Layla, I'm begging you, please turn out the light. I thought when I found that Hebrew word immediately. Now, Eric Clapton was successful. He did pull George Harrison's wife away from him whose name was Peggy and they married. And I believe it was with Peggy. They had a son. That when that kid was four years old, he toppled out or off of a balcony that was four stories tall 
and a four-year-old son perished and crushed his life. To which he wrote another very popular song that was entitled Tears in Heaven. It was about his son and the tragedy of his life and the circumstances. And, and while I would never be inclined to go as far as to say that Eric Clapton ever knew Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, when, you're, when, when your mind is in places it does not need to be, tragedy is always going to be the result. It was a tragic life. A tragic end to that boy's life. And, 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 and it's a pun. Delilah's name is a pun on the word Layla, talking about night. But, but Samson's name, it is related for the word son. Amen. Talking about day. Talking about brightness. And, and on a symbolic level, their, their name suggests overcoming the sun by the night. That's exactly what happened to Samson. Because when, when he had the hand of God on his life, uh, he was in places he did not belong. He was looking at things he had no business looking at. Uh, his mind was going in directions uh, that he should have captivated uh, the thoughts of his mind uh, and brought them under the under the, the obedience to Jesus Christ. Uh, as Paul states to the church at Corinth, but he didn't. He didn't. He found that woman of loose hair to be very beautiful, even though she was a woman of the night. And Samson slept with her. And she inquired of him by reason of the Philistines what's your source of power? Where do you get your power from? What's your source of power? Can I tell you something this morning? The world is not interested in you as a personality. They're interested in robbing from you your power. They're not after you to have a good time with them and, and to live it up and to, and to carry on and to go to the parties. And, and oh, they, they may invite you to the parties and you may go, but listen, it, they're, not, they're not inviting you there for you to have a good time with them. They're inviting you there because they want to know where does your power lie. Because if I can find out where your strength is coming from, amen, I'll be able to get your power. And if I can destroy your power, I'll destroy you as a man or woman of God. So Samson slept. The Bible said he laid his head in her lap. He weren't laying his head in her lap. He was intimate with her and she would ask him, where does your strength lie? Oh, if you'll bind me with seven green cords, it's you know, never been cured and you bind me with that, then that, that'll do it. She calls, she gets him to sleep and 
they tie him up and she awakens him with the cry, Samson, the Philistines are on you. Samson raises up in the power of God and he bursts the cords. So that one didn't work. But see, Samson's mind is still in the wrong place. That should have been a wake-up call by God to him. But his mind is still in the wrong place. So they were in bed again. Samson, if you loved me, See, he loved her. She didn't love him. Samson, if you love me, you tell me the source of your power. Over a period of time, because Samson's mind was already in captivity. He said, look, if you cut my hair, I'll be just like any other man. See, this hair is a symbol of my relationship with God. This hair, there's no power in the hair, but it's a symbol of my commitment to God. And if you take my commitment, you take my power. Oh, they had a great time. Samson falls asleep. Somebody grabs the scissors and they begin to cut the hair of that man and then they bind him. And then with a startle, Sometime in the night comes the voice of Delilah. Samson, the Philistines are on you. And the Bible says that he rose up and he shook himself as he had so many times before. But the power was gone. It was gone. It was not there. Why? I'll tell you why. Because outwardly Samson looked like a Nazarite. But inwardly, his mind was beginning to be attracted to things that God said, you better leave alone. So you know the rest of the story with Samson. They bound him. He was, they put out his eyes so that he couldn't see. I'm not going to spend time to talk of the implications there. But yet, God allows him, at one point in time, God allows him power one more time. But that power is just enough power to commit suicide with more Philistines, killing more Philistines 
than he had killed at one time ever before. But the fact of the matter is, Samson would have never got to that place had he not kept his mind away from the entrapments of the world. So John writes to the church, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And again, when we're talking about the world, we're talking about a a system, an organized earthly system that is controlled by the power of the evil one that has aligned itself against God and the kingdom of God. So what is, what, what is John saying when he says love not the world? I'm going to tell you what he's saying. When people love the world, they are misapplying this human emotion of love in a way that will lead them to their demise. It's what happened to Demas. It's what happened to Samson. It's what happened in biblical records to other great men of God. And it's what, it, it is what happened to the man that was in my dream, which will ultimately happen unless he allows God to arrest him somehow. But when, when, when that love, that human emotion is, is misapplied in, in a way towards the world, it will lead to our demise. Amen. In a sense, love is neutral. But the object of one's love or affection is divisive. Amen. That love has to have an object. I either love God or I love the world. I either love God or I love the pleasures of the world. That love, just like my faith, faith has to have an object. Your love has to have an object. Amen. And that, that object it can, can, be, can be one that's going to help you or that affection is going to lead in a divisive direction away from God. John charges us to love neither the world in general nor the things of the world in particular. The command is comprehensive. Our allegiance must not be divided. Our affection has to be focused and it's got to be specific. Love not the world neither the things that are in the world so this verse clearly states that one cannot love the world and love God at the same time what was it that Jesus said to the Jews you cannot serve God and mammon you're either going to love one uh, you'll love one you you can't serve two masters you'll either love one and hate the other or you'll hold to the one and you'll despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon At the same time, amen, so the absolute nature of this statement is striking and it compels careful and serious reflection. The stakes are high today, church, because the Father's kingdom is at war with the kingdom of this world and the two will never coexist peacefully. It's impossible to pledge allegiance to one side is to declare opposition to the other. So you're either on one side or the other. You either pledge allegiance to one. And in pledging allegiance to one is to declare opposition to the other. And that's where the church is right now today.
Because I'm telling you in closing, there are things that are coming into the church at this very moment of time that is alarming to me. Things that we've prayed against in the past. Things that we refuse to allow to become a part of our lives in the past now is acceptable. How can that happen? How can that happen? I can tell you the only way it'll happen because it happened this way to Demas. It happened this way to Samson. Getting on the fringes of the church just like Demon or just like Samson did with Israel. Oh Gaza, that's that's part of the land that God promised us, but but yet Gaza was that fringe area. It still had the world there. And that's exactly where Samson found himself. And the attractions was just too great. They got a hold of him. They pulled him down and ultimately they destroyed him. And the same thing that happened to Demas, that happened to Samson, is the same thing that will happen to the church of 2022 if we don't seriously heed the words of that old apostle John who in in his elderly years was anointed by God and said, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world for any man love the world. The love of the Father is not in Him. I want to encourage you this morning in closing as we stand. I want to encourage you to stay just as far away from this organized system that has aligned itself against God and His kingdom. That in the context of this, of this, uh, or, or in the context of, of our text scripture, is called the world by John. Stay as far away as you possibly can. Don't be doing one thing outwardly that appears to be right, but in your mind you're going back into bondage because I'm telling you it's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. That if you don't shake yourself and get a hold of yourself, that your body will follow the direction of your affections. Because the Lord declared where your heart is, where your mind is, where your affections are, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So what you're attracted to is your treasure. If it's the weak and the beggarly elements of the world, if it has anything to do with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, because John said these three are the things that are in the world. 
But that's going to get you. It's the lust of your flesh. It's the lust of your eyes. And it's the pride of life. Ironically, it is these same areas of life that Satan tempted Jesus with in the desert in Matthew chapter 4. It was with the lust of his flesh, the lust of his eyes, and with the pride of life. And it's going to be in those three categories that the, that the devil is going to come.